0: Dizzle, bizzle for shizzle. Welcome. All right, let's get into this. So today we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about, you know, kind of along the lines of American mythology and why we do things, right? Why is Pocahontas so amazing? Why is John Smith so glorious? why is Thanksgiving an amazing holiday that everyone just goes and spends money on and doesn't care about the past? No, that's a joke in that one. But we're going to focus on why we look at history, especially in our, our past, the way we do, which will help us to go forward in this one. Take a listen. Let's do this, people. So today we're really going to wrestle with the issue of narrative and the importance of narrative and reality, if you will, at that point. The problem is, look, none of us were alive back in 1600s, 1700s when we're looking at the start of America or what we assume right is the time where colonies are coming and they're developing. You know, we don't have that first person contact where we can go and ask John Smith What happened? Or could you elaborate more on your general history of Virginia that you wrote in 1624? We can't ask that, right? So we know we have some different ways of connecting with things. And this has always been throughout history. We have first person is that connection, right? You're actually asking someone who's lived it versus second and third where it's been passed down and it's through memoirs, it's through things like that. So we have to go back and look then and really be those detectives to understand What is that past and was the narrative correct or not? Because what we've had for a very long time, and we have to remember our country is not that old in the grand scheme of things. We're still very much a fresh new country if you look at a lot of other countries or areas around the world in that one. So what we're coming to find now is that possibly some of the narratives that we've always understood may not be exactly what they were, right? And then that creates the problems that if we are believing and we're progressing with false narratives, then we're really creating an incorrect picture of our history, right? And then we're selling that history. So that's where that whole Christopher Columbus debate comes in in that one. You know, does American history change if you paint Christopher Columbus in a negative limelight, right? does American history change if places like Cahokia are your starting point and then we see a change in that? So that's what we're really looking at. And why I think that is such an important thing, because we have everything today, even from culture now, and if you go back to 1993, I think, when Pocahontas came out, you have the way we display things that fits very nice in our American understanding of things. It's very romantic. It's very... um, you know, from nothing to something. It's that American patriotism that you kind of see within it. But what we have to do as investigators of history is we have to go back and make sure that that is exactly what it is. Um, For example, if you look at a lot of pictures around the early colonies, so we're talking, you know, anywhere all through 1500s, 1600s, they're what seems to be what we get in terms of information from paintings like that is the natives are painted very negatively and i'm looking at ones from theodore debris where they're very quote savage like what they we use that term a lot in history to depict people that are not part of the status quo um so the indians are never seen in this like glorious standpoint or viewpoint if you will right and the colonists or the conquerors are always seen in this higher-end type of depiction at that one. And we have to ask ourselves why in that one. So we look at ourselves from the viewpoint of Theodore Debris. You know, why was he creating that imagery? Was he really seeing that, or was he trying to invoke something that could be sent back to people to show at that point? Um, and I, I'm even looking at a few of his stuff that uh, The Town of Sacadia, which is a very famous piece of work there, and just looking at it and seeing... You know, very much how his painting here is showing what the Indians, lo- <clears throat> excuse me, what the Indians looked like after European colonization kind of came in and showed them the way. So what you see beforehand is you see a very savage, like native Indian rogue, uh, nothing very cohesive. It looks like a giant mess. And then this painting afterwards, um, again, it's the town of Sakata, is showing a very structured um I, I think they say it, civilized, but a lot more uniformity in the way their village looks. So what the paintings are showing there is that, you know, after colonization, after the Europeans come over here and, quote, save the natives, they become more sophisticated at that point. And we have to ask ourselves, is that true or not? You know, is that right? Because as we start looking at more things and we start reading more things, we're seeing that savage imagery really put on the natives. And is that fair or not? Right? And why do we do that? You know, Do we do that because without that, the American narrative of patriotism in the past doesn't hold up? And if not, then why do we do it then? Right, Why do we have false narratives or incorrect narratives at that point? And then what is our job as citizens of arguably the greatest country in the history of the world? What is our job to do? Do we have to go back and recreate that false narrative? and say, hey, look, this is what is, this is what we were taught, which is wrong, so let's rewrite history. Is that our job? And and I think that is some of our jobs as citizens. We have to correct the wrong, and we have to write the correct history, right? Because history is always usually written by the winners. It's never written by the losers. We know that because why? Because most of the time the losers are dead, or they're enslaved, or something's happened to them. So it's our job today with the facts that we have or we're uncovering to show that evidence so we can rewrite history the way it should be in that one. Um, Last night I was watching Pocahontas the Myth of on Smithsonian channel. You can actually watch it on YouTube and it is a great one hour film. I think you should totally watch it. But it's this whole point. I mean, we grow up, we watch Pocahontas. It's this amazing love story where John Smith comes. He's beautiful, of course. She's beautiful. Uh, They fall in love, and then they live amazingly. But when you come and actually look at it, John Smith was actually 27 at the time. Pocahontas would have been at most 11 years old. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't think that's going to work in that one for me, and I don't think it works for you back then. And just the whole way in which John Smith was always known to be kind of we're not going to say he's a liar, but John Smith was known to be someone who kind of heightened up his writings, exaggerated a bit, made him a little more novelishy, even though he was writing as a factual account. So the story goes, you know, he was saved by Pocahontas because they were going to actually club him to death, is what John Smith's view was. Where we look back at historical accounts and what tribes would have done, actually Powhatan. It looks like it was a ceremony of adoption, and John Smith was just reading it incorrectly. It wasn't a savage moment; they were trying to adopt him in to the tribe. And I, what I did like about this too is Powhatan, um, Chief Powhatan, of course. They claim, you know, and this is Pocahontas's father, by the way. I know, amazing, isn't it? It's so great. History's amazing. Uh, Pocahontas' IQ, they claim, was off the charts. And any chief of a tribe would have had to have a very high IQ to be able to hold a whole society together. So these are not dumb people that are making the decisions in this one. So having so much of this two different sides to the story becomes very confusing on this one. And again, this is something that we're raised with and that we see. You know, Pocahontas is a story, but it's totally different, Right. Um, even so much as the view of looking at, remember we talked about the other day, that let's look at American history not from the West, right? Pointing West, let's look at it facing East. Okay, let's make that shift and see what those people might've seen. And the narrative goes that a lot of historians and lead investigators believe the natives would have seen things around like Jamestown. They would have seen the English as people that were trying to look for food. And so here was the narrative that we got from it is that they saw these people starving all the time because they were, they were the English were not known to be people uh, when they were colonizing that were very well set up. They were very much, let's live off land. Let's try this. Um, They didn't bring a lot of rations like the Spanish did. So they were going hungry very quickly. So when the natives were observing this, they were thinking that, Oh, These people, quote, because they don't know English, they don't know that they're English, you know, no one has a title, but they see them as wow, these people are starving all the time. Maybe they're in this new land because their old land has no food and they don't know what to do with it, right? They don't know how to rule the land, they don't know how to uh, correctly invoke agricultural tools, methodology, stuff like that. So it's different when you look at it from that sense instead of the westward view is that, oh, these Indians are looking to stop us because they want to hoard all the gold for themselves, something like that. So it's really interesting in history when you look at things and you take a step back and you ask those tough questions, you know, around the why questions or why did it matter, right? Why did someone depict it like this? Is this actual or was this depicted for a purpose down the road. And that's something that I think when we as young historians, we just take a textbook, we open it up, that is what it is. That's not what it is, right? So you really have to wrestle with the stuff that you're looking at, because if you don't, you're really doing yourself a disservice, right? You're just following the typical... Oh, how do I say it? The typical progress quote of American history. And I think that gets us into a lot of problems, honestly. Um, I'm reading on Slate.com right now. Masters of the Atlantic history, uh, the forgotten contest between colonists and seafaring Indians for command of the American coast. Okay. Um, So let me just read this briefly real quick and then we'll finish up and talk about it there. Uh, It's the time of year when Americans remember a gritty story of conquest and death by decking their houses in warm fall colors and loading their plates with Fattening food. Ooh, who doesn't love that? Noting that Thanksgiving myths paper over the violent invasion of the continent is hardly news. A uh, few contemporary Americans are unaware of the triumphalism stuffed in their turkeys. Even retailers seem a little squeamish about the holidays' dark origins, as Thanksgiving-themed packaging now tends to favor harvest imagery rather than pilgrims and American Indians. And here's why this last one. The iconography of Plymouth Rock and First Thanksgiving was invented in the 19th century when scenes of colonial beginnings were a common subject for painters. Ah, very important to remember there. Today, Americans' unease around the holidays history has turned the subject of first contact into a cartoonist cliché. Artists now use the native perspective to set up jokes about contemporary politics. Uh, Indians call the newcomers illegal immigrants or gentrifiers. And so forth, even with some gifts about, sorry, this is a private beach. So for historians interested in the true story of how English speakers came to dominate American shores, these images that reappear every November reveal common misconceptions. Cartoonist visions of the European arrival do not just obscure what happened, they distort where it happened. Renderings often zero in on the moment when foreign feet touch the continent. Artists depict Indians as passive and landbound while showing the English as active and seaborne. and they take it for granted that land was the only source and setting of conflicts. But first encounters do not always take place on soil. Contrary to those pictures that stand on the beaches, Indians met colonists as fellow mariners, right? So I'm going to kind of stop it there because it keeps going. But the whole point is, you know, by depicting Indians as one thing, you're excluding them from other things. So by depicting them as these land-based individuals, you're forgetting that a lot of Indian tribes on the East Coast used the sea and rivers to pass on their products, right? They had a whole commerce system going where we, when we look from the west, think they're nothing. They have loin on. They do. They do nothing. They've just survived out of the grace of God, and whatnot. But in in actuality, there was a thriving metropolis in America at the time already. So just by having things like Thanksgiving, the misconception, just by having. Mythology around Pocahontas and the Disney version, it already paints a different narrative for us, and we have to be very careful about that when we move forward through American history. I am not saying discredit everything, not a chance, because there is some stuff there that is there. It's just tough for us to deal with. But what I'm also saying is, I'm warning us as we go through it, make sure you're focused on that, that it is okay. And I'm saying this as a very proud American. It is okay for us to recognize our dark past. It is. It is also fair for us to recognize our glorious past as well, right? So I think you can do both because you want to learn from both of them, right? It's easy to learn when you win, right? Everyone thinks that. No one wants to learn when they lose. But honestly, when you're losing or when you have bad negative things in it, I think it's easier for you to see the changes versus how to constantly be a winner, And if you look at today, a lot of the BLM movement and a lot of the stuff, the Me Too movements are coming out of the fact that we have not addressed our dark past, our dark history throughout certain eras. And maybe it's been one continuously. And so a lot of the stuff is the fact that we actually haven't dealt with it because we've painted our history in such a positive limelight. So if we can go back and look at it and rewrite it the way it should be, teach it that way, and then, hey... This is how we did in the past. This is how we're not going to do it moving forward. Then we learn from it and we're a better society moving forward. Well, I hope I have left you thinking, at least. And again, we're we're around this series. We're really looking at metacognition. We want to think about the way we think. And we want to look at that stuff and really wrestle with the past, but put on a lens, again, of detective work. I know it sounds cliche saying that, very juvenile, but it's honest to God. It's the truth of what you have to do in that one. You have to put yourself as a detective in the past. And when you do that, I am telling you, I promise you, History will come alive and it will be your most favorite subject to engage within because now you matter. Think about it. If you're a detective in history, your thoughts matter just as much as everyone else's because you basically are helping us rewrite history for the future in the correct way that it should be rewritten. So enjoy it. We will see you for next time. Enjoy the music on the way out.